0: All right, so I want to set the stage for us this morning uh, to, to talk with you this morning. And, and the way I want to set the stage is primarily by doing this, is that I'm going to centrally talk to those of you in the room this morning who are Christ followers, those of you in the room who have said, I am a follower of Jesus, I've put my faith in him, I've had some kind of encounter with him that's drawn me in. Now if you're in the room this morning, you're not a Christ follower, you're unsure, you're saying, uh, I'm not quite sure about God... Uh, I'm not saying that the message is completely irrelevant to you. I hope that's not the case. I hope that you're encouraged. But what I want to talk to you this morning about has to do with your story and your story about when you met or encountered a man named Jesus. So if you haven't encountered him or you haven't had that moment where you've said, I put my faith in him, uh, it's going to be hard for you to relate because you're going to say, well, I don't have that story. See, I'm not talking about uh, when I say you talk about your story, and if I would come to you and ask you will, you, will you tell me your story, you might start to think about, well, I'll tell you about where I grew up. I'll tell you about what my parents were like. I'll tell you about what my dad did for a job or my, my mom did. Uh, I'll tell you about those types of things. Or I'll tell you about the, the time in fifth grade when it was the first time that I ever held a girl's hand and that experience. And as interesting as that might be to hear about, that's not the story that I'm talking about. All right? That's not the story that I want to talk about. What I want to talk about this morning is how you met Jesus. Now, some of us would affectionately call this your testimony. right? You've heard that term before, your testimony. But in our world today and in our culture today, a testimony is such a legal word. We don't really use that word outside of a courtroom where somebody will be called on to give their testimony about something that happened. So it's not that the word testimony is irrelevant or wrong when you're talking about your story and how you met Jesus, but I'm just saying that in our culture today, the testimony isn't really a word that we hear much, so it's kind of foreign to some of us. But the story that I want you to think about this morning is, how did this man who lived 2,000 years ago impact your heart and mind? Some of you might say, well, wait a second, 2,000 years ago, yeah, I know, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. That Jesus lived some 2,000 years ago, and he's impacted my life today, my heart today. How is that possible? But for those of us who have had that encounter with him, we know it's very possible. When I met Jesus, it changed my life. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything. As we think about next week, the fact that many people around The world, not just in Pennsylvania, not just in the United States, but around the world, will celebrate this thing we call Easter. I like to call it the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will celebrate the resurrection of this man, Jesus. And the evidence surrounding his resurrection is staggering. This man who came from essentially nothing, a poor family, who didn't have much to stake claim to on his name in this world, he came and he predicted, he said, I am the son of God. He predicted his death and then he also predicted his resurrection, that he would rise again in three days. And his resurrection, the evidence around his resurrection is staggering. If you would like to read more on that this week, I give you a recommendation. There's a book written by Joel Ortberg and it's called, Who is this Man? And he looks not just at the biblical account, but more at the historical evidence around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the difference that Jesus has made in cultures throughout the world because of the resurrection of Jesus. So it's a great read, it's, a, it's an easy read, but it's a tremendous look at the historical encounter or account of Jesus's resurrection. So I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, You can also find some videos probably online of it, uh, of him talking about it, but the the read is worth uh, your time. So let me share with you just real quick uh, my story as I'm thinking about it this morning, as we're talking about when you encountered this man named Jesus. I'll tell you my encounter with Jesus. It was 1999. It was the winter of 1999. I wasn't necessarily looking for Jesus, all right? I wasn't looking to walk with him. I wasn't looking for my life to be upended. It was my senior year, and my life was going pretty well at the time. I got invited to go on a youth retreat and it was a ski retreat, so I decided, well, all right, I'll, I'll go. My, my youth pastor uh, at the time, he was nagging me to go. Now, I had grown up in a, in a family that took me to church. I had been baptized at the age of 13. But I, at that point in my life, I had kind of walked away from God. I wasn't interested necessarily in being a follower of Jesus and all that that meant. So in 1999, in January of 1999, I get on this bus and I'm headed to this ski retreat up in the Poconos. And all of a sudden, I have this odd compulsion to read the Word of God, to actually pick up the Bible and read it. it was, this was not a normal compulsion for me as an 18-year-old. I didn't normally decide, oh, I want to read my Bible. And as we're riding, I, it, was, it was dark, we're riding up, and all of my friends had Walkmans on. That tells you how old I am. They had those, like, CD players. You actually had to put a CD in and click to the track you wanted. You couldn't just, you know, there wasn't Pandora or cell phones or anything like that. So anyway, I pulled my, my Bible out and I turned the light on. And I open up to one, one passage, John 14, 15. And this moment in my life is etched in my brain. It will be there forever. And the words of that passage said this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now some of you might hear that as condemnation. Like Chris, if you loved me, you would obey my commands and do what I tell you to do. But that's not how I took that passage. That was the only passage I read that night. And my heart was broken in that moment because I felt, and you might argue with me, but I felt as if Jesus was sitting right next to me. And he was saying, if you love me, you would obey my commands. You say you love me. You say you are a Christian. But look at your life, Chris. Who's it about? Is it about me or is it about somebody else? Because it appears to be all about you. And in that moment, my heart was broken. That was my story, my encounter, my first real encounter with this man, Jesus. And I experienced his grace for the first time because it wasn't condemnation. It wasn't throwing me under the bus and saying, you're such a sinner, if you would just listen to me. It wasn't like that. It was, follow me. Put that other stuff behind you and follow me. And now because of that moment, because I experienced the grace of God, my life changed. I started to be more gracious with people. I started to be more merciful with people because I had experienced the grace of this man named Jesus. And he hasn't left me alone since. Praise God. So here's the first thing I would point out to you. Every Christ follower has a story worth telling. Every Christ follower has a story worth telling. And you might say, well, I feel my story isn't that interesting. My story isn't as interesting as yours is because I never had that moment where I felt like Jesus was really sitting beside me. I mean, I've been a follower of his. I put my faith in him. I've tried to walk with him, but I, I don't know that I've had quite that moment, But I want to tell you this morning that any encounter with God is powerful. Any encounter with God is powerful. You don't come to a moment where you experience God and it's not powerful because any encounter with him is powerful. I'll share a story with you quickly. Wednesday morning, I got up uh, extremely early before people should be awake, Uh, but I have a dear friend here in the in the body who is going through a rough time, and he gets up real early to go to work. And so I told him, hey, I'll meet you for coffee. Uh, So I think I I was up at like 4.30 in the morning to go meet him for coffee before work. And I walked outside my front door. I was, of course, at that time of the morning, I was kind of running a little late, and I was kind of tired. I walk out my front door, and I come out, and I look at the night sky. And that night sky made me freeze. I literally froze on my walk up to my car, because of how brilliant the stars were, how brilliant the planets looked. It was amazing. And I thought of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Night after night, they make him known. I thought, wow, God, I was gonna go about my day, I was gonna get started, I was gonna go talk to this brother this morning, and you stopped me dead in my tracks. That was an encounter with the living God, and it was powerful. Don't miss those moments. So often we're such a hurry, we miss those encounters that can be there, and I'm as guilty as anybody else. So I want to encourage you this morning to tell those stories. Tell those stories to people you come in contact with about those encounters with God, with those encounters with Jesus see if you track with this. The longer you're a follower of Jesus, the longer you follow Jesus, the less you tell or talk about it with those who aren't. And I don't think this is intentional. I don't think we we specifically think this, like, all right, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm not going to talk to other people about it. I don't think anybody feels that way. I haven't met that person yet. But what happens to us is we start to hang out with the same types of people, People who are also following Jesus. So there's no point for me to introduce somebody to Jesus who already knows him, right? In the retirement home, you might be in a retirement home and you might spend time with those other people in that retirement home who go to the chapel at the same time you do and hang out with the same people and they're Christ followers and we encourage one another. That's fine. That's good. But it takes us, it gives us less contact with those who don't. Or we get into Bible studies, or maybe it's a homeschool uh, parents' group or mom's group. Maybe it's Christian sports teams. And we just get around people that are like-minded. That's not a bad thing. But the more we're around people that are like-minded who are followers of Jesus, the less we talk about those encounters with Jesus with those who aren't. I want to jump into the scripture this morning and show you. uh, It's one of my favorite passages when it comes to somebody sharing their their story. And we're going to unpack this together because I think there's a lot that we can get out of this encounter in John chapter 9. This is where Jesus encounters a blind man, or should I say this blind man encounters Jesus. So let's look at this together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some in the pews there. In the Bible, in the pews there will be on 890, page 890. If you don't own a Bible and you would like one, please feel free To take that one. But we're going to work through this whole chapter together, and I will make some stops, of course. For those of you who know me, that's the way I do things. So, John chapter 9. John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, which means teacher. His disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Isn't that an interesting question? If you were to run into a blind person, would you ask that question today? Probably not. Most, I see some of you shaking your head. No, I, I wouldn't ask that question. So why, why did the disciples ask that question? Why did the disciples ask, well, was it his sin or was it his parents' It's such an odd question to ask, but... If you know the text, if you know the Old Testament, they're asking it because it's in the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, this passage is pointed out. You must not bow down to them or worship them. This is God telling the nation of Israel. He's telling the Jews, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. And I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The disciples were picking up on that. They knew that. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. And I don't think that the word reject is strong enough here because if you look at other translations, it's actually those who hate me. So those who set themselves up in rebellion against God, God will revisit the sins of those against third and fourth generation. So the disciples were picking up on that. And that's why they ask the question, even later in verse 34 in John chapter 9, the Pharisees tell this blind man, you were born a sinner. Because they think that it was his parents or him that was judged and his blindness was because of their sin. So I'm just pointing out to you that it's in the text. So let's keep going. Jesus, Jesus will clear things up here. Verse 3, it was not because of his sin or his parents' sin, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Hold on a second. How many of us have an infirmity, some kind of disability, something that hinders us? Maybe it's a disease or an illness that's come upon us. How many of us look at that and say, this has happened in my life so that the power of God might be displayed? Most of us say, woe is me. Why has this happened? But here Jesus says, This man was born blind so that the power of God could be seen in him. This was actually a gift to this man, as crazy as that can sound. So let's keep going. Verse 4 We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. And then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. This is an odd way for Jesus to heal this man. Do You see this here in this passage. This is, Jesus could have just spoke and said, see, have sight. And the man would be able to see. But no, he tests this man. He puts mud on his eyes and then he tells him to go do something. He told him... Verse 7, go wash yourself in the pool of Salome. Salome means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. I was in Israel this past year in September. I was at this pool. This pool is in a public place. It's not far from the temple, only a couple hundred yards from the temple. This pool, for this man to go there with mud on his eyes, to find his way there, he's going through public place, crowds of people. People are looking at this guy. You see a guy walking down the street with mud on his eyes, kind of trying to make his way there. It's going to make you start asking questions, right? And he gets down into the pool and he washes. So verse 8, well, end of verse 7. So the man went and washed. He was obedient to what Jesus had told him. And he came back seeing, verse 8, his neighbors and the others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, wait a second, isn't... This, the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and the others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. That's me. He's excited about it. Well, they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. He's giving his story. He doesn't have all the details yet. This is going to become really evident throughout this passage. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He just says the man they call Jesus. I'm not sure who he is. The man they call Jesus, this is what he did. He put mud on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool and wash. I went to the pool and wash, and now I can see. That's the details. That's what I know. Verse 12. Well, where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been, born, had been blind to the Pharisees, the leaders. Because it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus had made the mud and healed him, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it, I could see. Again, he's just telling, this is what happened. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. It's funny how they make it about the Sabbath day rather than the fact that the man was healed. Right? A guy was born blind and now he can see and the Pharisees, all they're worried about is he did it on a Sunday, actually a Saturday, the Sabbath would be. He did it on a Saturday. Can't be possible that this was from God. Others said, but how can he, an ordinary sinner, do such a miraculous signs? So there was deep division and opi- opinions among them. 17, the man, the, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? So this is very important. He's at, they're asking him a very specific question. Who was this guy? What do you think about him? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. All he's saying here is this man must be of God. He has to be because he was able to heal me. But he doesn't know this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He, his doctrine and theology isn't, isn't sound yet. All he's saying is, I I think he's a prophet because he healed me. Verse 18, the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see. So they called in his parents and they asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? Verse 20, his parents replied, we know this is our son, that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who was to come, would be expelled from the synagogue. So his parents are afraid to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why they said he's old enough to ask him, or so ask him. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this, because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. How do they know that? All they're doing is trying to discredit Jesus, but they don't know that. They don't have any evidence of that. Verse 25, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. This is more evidence that this man's theology was not yet sound. Right? For any one of us who have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, we would look at this and say, well, I know that Jesus, who knew no sin, right? Jesus was not a sinner. He had no sin in him. That's why when he went to the cross and took the sin upon himself, he was able to set us free because he knew no sin. But yet this man says, I don't know. I'm not sure if he was a sinner. But what I do know is I was blind and now I can see. Let's keep moving. Verse 26, but what, he did, what, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man's getting annoyed now. Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. Yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. Again, he's just giving testimony to what's happened. Verse 34, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Why? Because these men were shut off. They did not want to hear that Jesus was the Messiah. They were closed off to it and ha- wanted nothing to do with it. And they were rejecting it even before this man came to give his testimony. But now something powerful happens in verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus encou- or this man encounters Jesus again. Verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This was a term that Jesus often used to describe himself. If you want to research this a little more, go back to Daniel 7. It was a term that was used uh, for somebody who was highly exalted, powerful. Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. This man is not yet a Christ follower. He's not yet a follower of Jesus because he doesn't know who Jesus is. All he knows is Jesus healed me. Verse 37. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. This is the verse of this man's conversion. This is where this man says, I believe you are my Lord. And look what happens. The man said, and he worshiped Jesus. A sure sign that this man has now recognized Jesus as the son of God, and he worships him. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. All this man does is give an account to what he has seen and what he has heard and what has happened to him in his life. And I want to encourage you this morning. Your encounter with Jesus at any level is powerful. And you might ask, well, how do you know that, Chris? I want to show a verse to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It's Paul writing, Apostle Paul. He says, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. So he says, you're, if, if you are a Christ follower, you're not going to curse your Messiah. You're not going to curse the name of the Lord. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on a cross for your sins and that he rose again and you have put your faith in him, that's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You don't come to that conclusion on your own. The Holy Spirit's begun to work in you. That's a powerful encounter with God. Don't underestimate that. Don't underestimate what the Holy Spirit has done in your life to enable you and open your eyes... To be able to see that Jesus is the son of God and his resurrection did happen. And it gives me hope that I will be with him someday because he's conquered sin and death. And I will rise with him again. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. That's God's spirit working in you to reveal that to you. Don't underestimate that. Don't downplay it. Because a lot of us make this mistake. We, come in, be, we become intimidated by theology and doctrine. We're so afraid that we're not going to have the answers to all the questions. We don't know how to say it. We don't know the right way to say it. We're afraid we'll say it the wrong way or we'll mess something up that it paralyzes us. I don't want to talk to them about Jesus because what if they have questions and I can't answer those questions? What if they start talking to me about creation and I'm not sure exactly how to explain the science behind between evolution and creation. I don't know all the answers to that, so I'm just not going to get into that. And what often happens, you think about this, this happens in life too. I hear this with young people all the time. Well, we'll get married when we have enough money, right? We'll get married when I have my career lined up and everything is the way I want it to. And how often does it actually go the way we want it to go, right? But we jump in. Or we say, well, we'll have kids when we're established. We're well-established. we got the house paid for, the car paid for. You're going to wait until you're 65 to have kids? It doesn't work that way. You just jump in. And what it does is it develops grit in us because we keep working and we learn. And this is the same is true with our, us telling our story. Sharing our story should not paralyze us. The blind man, he didn't have all the answers. He just said, listen, I had this encounter with this man, Jesus, and it changed my life. And he didn't have all the answers. Now, theology and doctrine, that's all important. I want you to grow. That's why we come on a Sunday. That's why we encourage you to read the Bible on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, because we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to grow in those things that you would know. And that's more about a relationship with Jesus and God than it is about knowing the word. I read the word because I want to know God. That's why I read it. So that's why we encourage you to read. Not necessarily so you have all the X's and O's down. But we get so, so concerned about it. We're we're worried that, you know, we get into that conversation, well, doesn't the the Bible condone slavery? Well, I know it talks about slavery. I'm not sure about all that. But I know, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did in my life. Or, or didn't the, the guys in the Old Testament, didn't they marry multiple wives? What do you say about that? I don't really know about all that. But let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he changed my life. See, it's hard to argue with a testimony. It's hard to argue with a testimony and the story of what he's done in your life. What can happen is you might say, well, I don't know all the answers. Let me take you to one who does. But again, this can paralyze us. I want to show you guys a clip uh, from a somewhat famous guy. Some of you who know the sport of football, you'll probably know who Matt Hasselback is. But I want to show you guys a clip of him talking and listen to how he's talking about his story. There's a couple things that I want to point out to you. There's a man that he runs into in his life that changes his life because of the way he lives his life. He, He recognizes that he's different. But there's also this fear in him that he can only take somebody to the guy who knows all the answers. So we'll play this clip and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit after it. My dad played
1: football. When people would ask me what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would say, "I don't know. I just guess I'll just play in the NFL like my dad." I was drafted in the sixth round, pick 187. I can remember when I got the call from the Green Bay Packers. Andy Reid, the quarterbacks coach, calls me and he says. Uh, Hey, uh, tell me what you think about this next pick. And I'm looking at the ticker, and it's like Green Bay Packers. It starts flashing, and it's my name. And I'm thinking, you guys are fools. (laughs) No one else is going to draft me. I throw the phone up. I'm like, we're celebrating. I pick the phone back up. I'm like, hey, uh, coach, you know no one is probably going to draft me. You know, like, didn't need to draft me. But I was fired up. I get there, and and I see they've got a ton of quarterbacks. But my coach came in and he, he kind of instilled some confidence in me that I didn't have in myself. And one of the first things he says to me, he's like, listen, you need to believe that you can be the
0: backup quarterback for this team.
1: He was kind of like, he was a little churchy for me. I don't know. I was just very suspicious. Come to find out through uh, years of being with him and then, um, you know, seeing him go through things in his life that the dude was legit and he was a good friend and a great teammate. I got in the elevator and I was like critical of what the chaplain had talked about. I was like, man. I'm so glad this guy that I invited said no on our team because the chaplain's never gonna reach that guy with that kind of a message. And Trent looks at me, he's like, it's not the chaplain's job to reach that guy. It's the chaplain's job to teach you so that you can reach that guy. And I was like, whoa, really? (laughs) I'm good at teaching a young quarterback the playbook. Hey, what do you do here on uh, Fox 2 XY? Oh, dude, the, the play action's the whole deal. And I'm going to tell you, nine out of ten times you're throwing the tight end. Unless they're in quarters coverage, you're going to throw the post. But otherwise, you're going to go to the tight end right to the X. And I guarantee you the X is going to be open every single time. Unless they're playing two-man on the backside, or it's press, bump, and run, then you're going to have your fullback. And it'll be an easy gain. It'll be second and four. Like, I, I know that. I can give that away. I can share. And Not only can I run the play, I can teach you the play. And so I wasn't at a point with my faith that I could share it in a way that I knew it. Like, I knew the playbook. Like, I was the starter, you know, I was like a rookie. Even though I had had the playbook for years, I didn't really know it. I wasn't making disciples. I was introducing people to the chaplain and feeling good about myself. There was a moment for me where I really felt something powerful that I can't even explain. Was last year uh, we were at a conference type thing, and uh, I had invited our two young quarterbacks. I was like, man, I hope it's okay for them. I hope they like it. I mean, I I like it. I hope they like it. And they were teaching on this, on baptism, and uh, I'm like walking to them, thinking like, hey, I was gonna tell my baptism story about like, hey, I, just, I know it's a little, I, I don't know how you feel about this, and uh, and both of them and their wives said, hey. Um, Our team chaplain's not here. Would you be willing to baptize us? And I was just like, like, are you kidding me? God is present in all things, big or small, all the time. He can do anything He wants to do with anyone He wants to do, through anyone He wants to do it with.
0: So a couple of things that come out of Matt's story there that, that kind of made an impression in me is, no, number one, Trent Dilfer's role in his life. And Trent lived a, a life that he used the word legit, meaning that he was a true follower of Jesus. He found him to be genuine. As we interact with people, as we share our story about who Jesus is, it has to be something that's genuine. It has to come from a place where people look in on us and say, yeah, that, that person is uh, really a follower of Jesus. It's a genuine story. They see something different. And that will come because the storms in life will come. The storms in life will come to all of us. But the question is, what are you anchored to? Who are you following or what are you anchored to? I I want you to just picture something with me. I think you can all do this. Picture with me uh, two boats that are are docked. They're they're in a dock and close to the shoreline, uh, maybe in the bay, something like that. And the storm rolls in. Right? The storm rolls in, the high winds, the waves start to pick up, the rain's coming down, and both boats are impacted. Both boats are impacted the same way, except one of the boats is anchored. It's tied down, has a firm foundation. The other one isn't. What's going to happen to those boats? One's going to be thrown around by the waves, pushed into the dock, pushed into the shoreline, busted apart, because it wasn't anchored. But the one that was tied down, the one that's anchored, you come out the next day, it's still there. Still in one piece, still together. Why? Because it was anchored to a firm foundation. See, I think about our testimonies. We share our story. I've, I've, I've seen Jesus. I've, I've come to know him. He becomes our anchor. He becomes that, the scripture uses the word rock. We'll look at that in a minute. But he becomes that firm foundation for us. So even in the midst of the storms of life, so as Matt was looking at his friend Trent and seeing Trent go through things in his life, and he's saying, well, how is it that he's so unscathed by this? Or so, how is it that he has joy in the midst of sorrow and pain? Well, that joy is because of that encounter with Jesus. I sat with Warren and Arlene, those of you who know her, as they went through that extremely painful experience. And as ultimately her life was taken by cancer. And I look and I sit with Warren. This man is firm in his faith. It's anchored. It's anchored in who Jesus is. It's evident to me. It oozes out of him. Now how do you go through something like losing your wife of so many years? It's because he's anchored to the rock. And I would say this. The rock is it's Jesus. It's a person. As you go through life, as you interact with your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, as you're bringing, what I would say, peace to the chaos around you, because the storms hit all of us, and as you live to be a light and bring peace into that chaos, you have to be anchored to Jesus. I want to share uh, a couple passages with you here. It comes out of uh, 2 Timothy, if I can get this to advance. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I wish we could work through this whole passage, but we don't have time. If you want to do it on your own, please do. So Paul says this, he's writing to his young friend Timothy, this apprentice, if you will. And Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The life that is in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ that we find life, and life to the fullest. So he's saying, I'm writing to you in accord or in account of the promise of that life that we have in Christ Jesus. So he's going to encourage Timothy here. We're going to jump down to a couple verses. So he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. You have life in Christ Jesus. Don't be ashamed to talk about it. Don't be ashamed to tell others about the Lord or about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. That's the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But he's saying, all right, we have life in Jesus, verse 1. Now don't be ashamed to go tell others, verse 8. And then we get down to verse 12. That is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. He's not saying I know the religious system in which I believe, He's saying, I know the one. And who is the one? It's Jesus. We have life in Jesus. Don't be ashamed to share the story about him and know that he is the one you have put your faith in. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Are you sure this morning as you sit here that he's working for your good, for your benefit, and that he can can guard what you've entrusted to him? It's a great question. See, Jesus... Jesus isn't simply a theological construct. He's a person. And that encounter you have with a person is the story that you want to tell. In the Psalms, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 18:46. The Lord lives, praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. It's a good song. Praise be to my rock. My rock is not, again, a theological construct. It's not even the Bible, necessarily. It's Jesus. It's Jesus is my rock. That encounter that I've had with him changes me. See, when our relationship with Jesus cements in our hearts, I think amazing things happen. And I want to give you, before you leave here, I want to give you just a couple things to consider and possibly write down. Because I want to give you some help. How do you communicate your story? So how do you communicate that encounter with Jesus? How do I communicate that with others? Well, we don't do it unless we think about it ahead of time, I think. I think we have to consider what is it that I would want to share with people? What is it that I would want to say? So I want to give you three questions, and you can feel free to write these down. I challenge you to write them down on the back of your bulletin and just consider these. Consider these three questions. So the first one, oh, sorry, I missed that slide. Next one. How did I live before I met Jesus? What was my life like before I had that encounter? I could stand here and tell you for a while what those 18 years were like before I encountered him in that way. It's drastically different than after. So consider, what was my life like? And maybe you say, well, I don't really remember because I've been walking with Jesus since I was like five years old. What, what then? But I would, go, I would venture to guess that you know the things, the areas in your heart where there's weaknesses, the areas of temptation, and you can say, listen, this is what Jesus has kept me from all these years. I know these areas in my life where I'm weak. I know these areas where I struggle, and Jesus has protected me through that struggle. How did I receive Jesus? So just tell the story. This is what happened. I told you. This is how I encountered him. It was that night on a bus, 1999. Just talk about your encounter. Or I could tell you about Wednesday morning when I walked out and saw the the stars and was impacted by the creation that morning. Number three, how has my life changed since I received Jesus? How's your life different? What's different about it? What's been good? How has he impacted you? So think about that. Because the scripture tells us that we need to be prepared to give an answer. And people will come to you and they will ask you questions that probably won't fit the mold of what you think. Most people won't come up to you and ask you, hey, will you tell me about Jesus? As a pastor, and I've been walking with Jesus for about 20 years now in my life, people don't often come up to me and say, hey, I just want you to tell me about Jesus. Because that's a softball, right? That's a soft toss, Let me tell you, will you tell me about Jesus? Happened a couple times in my life, but not often. But people will come to me and say, hey, uh, when, you know, when when Josiah, your son, had kidney cancer and you guys were going through that, how how did you handle that? How did you walk through that? Be prepared to give an answer. Hey, when your kids are, are struggling like they are, how do you walk in that? or your friends are going through this or that. Whatever it is, the, the questions will come, but they won't come the way you think they will. Or maybe it's, why do, you, why do you guys go to church on Sunday? Like I noticed you guys, anytime we try to get together on Sunday, you always have church or you always have this thing going. Why do you do that? Give an answer. It's Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So be prepared to give an answer because they'll ask questions. They just might not be the way you think they are. So I want to encourage you with this last thing. Share your story this is the idea of multiplication. If you saw it on your bulletin, you're wondering, what does this have to do with multiplication? Share your story. Share that encounter with Jesus with maybe just one. I'm not telling you to go out and tell the world if you want to. Great, go do it. But it's more likely that you'll go and you can say, yeah, I can share that with one. I can share that story with one. Because here's the idea of multiplication, and here's the way that I believe God has designed it for us. We go share our story with one person. That person encounters Jesus. They're impacted. They encounter Jesus. They come to know Christ and they share their story with somebody. And then they share their story with somebody. All of a sudden, over time, that one story that you shared has become ten stories that have now been shared. Because people continue to tell the story of this is how I've been impacted. And remember the blind man. He didn't have all the details down. He didn't know all the right things to say. All he had to say was this is who I encountered How do you argue? How do you argue with the blind man who was born blind and now can see? How do you argue with a guy who was extremely self-centered and selfish, and myself, and all of a sudden this life change happens? All of a sudden he starts looking outward, starts thinking about other people, cares more about other people than himself. Hopefully that's true of me. Not all the time, but I hope it's true. But you understand where I'm going with this. How do you argue with that testimony or that story? So my encouragement to us this week as we go is don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. As Paul told Timothy, don't be ashamed to share about the one whom you put your trust in. That rock, that anchor through the storm. Let's pray. God, I... I ask that you would forgive me. That's where I want to start. Forgive me for the times that maybe I have been ashamed to share the story. Maybe I didn't want to share it because I was afraid of how it would impact somebody and they might not like me or something foolish like that. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed of you. I want to proclaim you. You've done so many great things in my life, and I pray that I could give testimony and share the story of what you've done. Father, for all of us, I pray that we can simply give account to what you have done for us. Lord Jesus, as you came to earth to shed your blood, to die on that cross for our sins, we've been set free now. Help us to talk of that victory that you've had and that you've given us. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage. As that passage in Timothy says, you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. That comes from somewhere else, but it doesn't come from you. So Father, I pray that you would give us strength, courage, and boldness to proclaim your good news to the people that we rub shoulders with on a regular basis. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.